Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Genesis chapter 4. We are kicking off a brand new series entitled Sunday School. And the point of this series is to go back to the beginning of the story, back into Genesis, and to look at these classic Sunday school stories. I grew up going to Sunday school. So we had Sunday school first, then we went to church, and then we went to church Sunday night, and then we went back to church on Wednesday nights. Did anyone else grow up doing that? Right? Good amount of hands in here. Now, for the most part, I liked church. I liked Sunday school. I had some fun. There were some friends that I made. Some of those friends I'm still with today, or we're still friends to this very day. But ultimately, looking back now, I can see the importance of those stories and those truths that I learned. I remember one particular Sunday school. I'm not sure I would recommend this. Everything that happened was appropriate, but it was like fourth grade, and we were working our way through Genesis, and we had this kind of old uh, male teacher, and we got to this point, and he made all the girls go into another room with like the girl teacher. And we stayed in there, and he taught us circumcision. It was appropriate. It wasn't like weird, but it was like, I was in fourth grade and horrified. Okay, we're going to get there at some point uh, in the story. I'm not going to go into as much detail as he did uh, in his explanation. I don't think it's essential to our salvation to understand that. But we are going to look at these classic stories. If you have a kid's Bible, every story we're going to look at is probably in your kid's Bible or the, you know, your kid's kid's Bible. And so we're going to look at these and we're going to do it through two lens. Lens number one is what are the... Sunday school lessons that maybe we've forgotten that we need to revisit these classic Bible truths. And then the second lens we're going to look through is how do these stories ultimately point to Jesus? And so maybe for some of you, it's revisiting the stories by looking at them in a new way and seeing what they're really about. And so we'll do that first through the story of Cain and Abel, the first brothers that are mentioned in the Bible. We're in Genesis chapter 4, and so what's happened in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 is God has created humanity. He's uh, created the institute of marriage, man and woman, bringing them together. He's created the animals and set up the ecosystem, and then Adam and Eve ruined everything. Sin was brought into the world. They were deceived by the serpent. God levied out his punishment, and in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he promises is redemption through the seed of Eve. Of Eve, Then they're banished from the garden. We're picking up the story then in Genesis chapter 4, where it says that uh, Adam and Eve had a child, Cain. Now, by the reading of the name that they gave to Cain, it almost seems to be indicating that Eve thought this is the promised redeemer. She was wrong. That wouldn't come for thousands of years later. She just has a son, and she names him Cain, and then he has a brother. They name him Abel. Some people think they were twins. It's up for debate. Cain and Abel, though, the first brothers. Now, the brothers had jobs. It's good for young men to grow up and get jobs. And so these two guys had jobs. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. And so when they had 
Family meetings or family dinners, you know, Abel brought the euro and Cain brought the salad. Even from the beginning, God was working everything together to make sure we had a full balanced meal, right? Or a fully balanced church. The way God does that now is he gives us all different talents and different gifts. Back then he gave them different jobs so that there would be full provision for the family. And so Cain and Abel were working their jobs and Adam and Eve are there. And we don't know if there's other children that they'd had during this time or if this was it. Uh, We don't know how many years have passed since the garden and how old Cain and Abel are during this time. The earth is certainly getting populated. They're the only four humans around. So, you know, you do the math and Adam and Eve are having children and Cain and Abel in verse three, it says in the course of time, this little phrase in the course of time seems to indicate like a specific time or at the right time. And so as they were maturing and building their little farm and their flock, they knew that the the right time had come for them to go and to give an offering. Now, where would they have learned this? Well, from their parents. Adam and Eve must have taught them that at this time, uh, at the right time, you come and you bring your offering. This brings us to Sunday school lesson number one. Parents, your chief obligation in life is to teach your children how to worship God. Your number one responsibility is not just the 4.0 or the scholarship, making sure they're good tax-paying citizens someday or that they bring you grandchildren. Your chief responsibility in life is to teach them how to worship God. This is Sunday School Lesson number one, a biblical truth from the very beginning. Parents passing on to their children the fundamental truths of God and also how to worship. How do we worship God? How do you do that in modern day, by the way? Well, consistent attendance in a body of Christ, modeling in behavior what it means to worship God in all of the ways that we're gonna talk about this morning. It's your chief aim. If that hasn't been through the last few years or whatever, uh, it's okay. Let's pick it up from here and remember why it is you brought children into this world, why God blesses us with them to teach them the things of God. And so Adam and Eve taught Cain and Abel that at the right time they were to bring an offering. You remember at Sunday school when you would uh, show up to Sunday school and before you'd leave uh, the car and, and get out there, your parents would do what? They'd give you a quarter or they'd give you a dollar. Or if you had made some money that week, they had taught you, you know, take the first dollar out of the 10 and set it aside and you put it in your envelope. And then when you got to Sunday school, what would you do? It'd come offering time and you'd run up and you'd put your quarter in, you'd put your dollar in. Adam and Eve had taught this to Cain and Abel. And so it was time to bring their offering. And so at offering time, Abel, it says, brought from the first fruit of his flock of their fat portions. Then it says that Cain brought some of the produce of his farm. Now, after that, it tells us that Cain's offering is not regarded by God and Abel's offering is Bringing us to Sunday school truth number two. Not all offerings are created equal. Not all offerings are created equal. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, this is written thousands of years after this story. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible. There's a line where they're commenting on what had happened between Cain and Abel. And the writer of Hebrews says this, that Abel's offering was more excellent than Cain's. 
is more excellent. Not all offerings are created equal. Now, how are Cain and Abel's offerings different? Well, they were different in two ways. What they gave and how they gave. What they gave and how they gave. Here's the biblical truth. What we give matters. Later, David would say this, I will not give God an offering that costs me nothing. What we give matters. And so how were uh, Abel and Cain's offerings different in what they gave? Well, two ways. The first is this. Abel, it says, gave of his first fruits. Now, the term there, first fruit, doesn't just mean fruit. It means the first of a kind or the best of a kind. Abel gave to God his best, the best that he had. He did this uh, as an act of obedience. He did this as a way to say, I'm submitting to your authority, God. He did this as an act of worship to say, I trust you and I love you. And so I'm going to worship you with the best of me or the best of what I have. I'm not going to give you what's left over at the end. I'm not going to think about myself first. I'm going to uh, regard you, worship you first. And so therefore, I'm going to give you the best of what I have. Abel gave to God his best and what we give matters. Now, sometimes people say, no, no, it's not about what we give. It's about how we give. And we'll bring up this story in the New Testament about the widow and her might. They'll say, see, the widow, she just gave a small amount, and God regarded that, but uh, the rich guy gave a whole bunch, and it was bad. So it's about why, not what, but even the widow. What does it say she gave? She gave a mite, but what was it? Everything that she had. If it wasn't about what and why, then what would the story say? The story would say, a rich guy gave a bunch, but his heart was bad, so it didn't matter. But uh, a poor lady gave nothing, but her heart was good. It doesn't say that. What we give matters as much as why. Now, when I say what we give, I'm saying this. I'm saying what we offer to God. Cain's offering was not accepted. Abel's was. Now, the second difference is this. Abel gave his best, his first. Cain did not. And secondly, Abel gave a blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of the lamb, and Cain brought produce. Now, biblical scholars out there, right here in the crowd, might say, well, yeah, but the the Abrahamic covenant hasn't occurred. There wasn't that weird moment where God cut the animals and Abraham walked through, and uh, and there wasn't the Mosaic law yet. The Ten Commandments haven't been instituted. The book of Leviticus is well off into the future. Animal sacrifice for the payment of sin hasn't yet been instituted, or has it? In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve leave the garden, what happens? They're naked and they're shamed. The the nakedness is a sense of shame, being exposed before God. What does God do? Kills animals and he clothes them with it as a picture to what Christ would ultimately do on the cross. He would become naked and ashamed on the cross so that our shame would be covered in his righteousness. After this story, in Genesis 5 through 9, Adam, I'm sorry, Noah is going to be mentioned. We're going to talk about the flood. We'll do that next week. But in Genesis chapter 5 through 9, God tells Noah, grab all these animals. And you know why he tells him to grab certain animals? So that the habit of blood sacrifice can continue. Says it three or four different times throughout those chapters. It's my assumption here that Cain and Abel knew what was acceptable to bring to God and what wasn't. And what we give matters. And so Abel, gives God 
of what he values most. Gives them the first the, 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 of the fat portions, the thing that had the most value, the thing that was a blood sacrifice. And then Cain shows up, apparently grabs some produce, throws it on the altar and says, there we go. And God, God looks down and he says, Abel's I like, Cain's I don't. Oh, and this sets Cain off. He gets a little angry. Let's pick up the story. He's actually so irritated that God can actually see it. He says, but Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This teaches us or gets into the, the next two Sunday school truths. Now we'll transition between what they gave and why they gave. See, the verse in Hebrews tells us that Abel gave in faith. Cain did not. Abel gave in faith. Now, all throughout the scriptures, whenever we do something in faith, what that means is we hear something and then we believe it and then we respond in kind. Hear, believe, respond. If um, you've read uh, the book of James in the New Testament. Studying uh, this story in Genesis chapter 4 actually helps us understand the book of James, how faith and works actually coincide or work together. But in the story, uh, both here in Genesis chapter 4 and in Hebrews 11, we are reminded of this third Sunday school truth, and it's very important that we get this this morning, that we are righteous because of faith, not because of works. So it wasn't just the fact that Abel brought the right gift that God was happy or pleased with the gift or regarded him as righteous. It wasn't just the bringing of the gift. It was the faith underneath that saved Abel, but the faith underneath prompted him to bring the right gift. Let me try to clarify. This brings us into... Sunday school truth number four, by the way, which is this. There is real worship and there is fake worship. Much of the rest of the scriptures are gonna deal with this theme brought up right here in Genesis chapter four. Real worship and fake worship. Both Cain and Abel brought offerings. Both of them showed up hypothetically to church on Sunday. Both of them brought something to give. Both of them uh, probably thought, I'm going to be okay we can see by Cain's response, how could you not accept this? I showed up, I, I did my thing, I, I worship the way that I'm supposed to. But only one is regarded as righteous. There is real worship and there is fake worship. And God is showing us that real worship comes out of a place of faith. But the place of faith then looks like bringing God an offering giving our lives. In Romans 12, we're told that the offering is just our lives. It's the way we produce it uh, or the way we go about living our lives, that our own, our very hearts, our very souls, our very lives, our very actions, our very everything becomes our offering to him. It's both what and why. Now we're saved, we're reckoned righteous only by faith. Ah, but what does faith do? It produces an offering of our lives. What kind of offering? <laughs> First, best, what's most valuable. I'll give God everything. Why? It shows that the faith is real. 
After Genesis 4, much of the scripture talks about this dichotomy between real worship and fake worship. And then we get into Matthew chapter, I believe it's 24 or 23, and Jesus gives one of his longest monologues. And what he's doing is he is attacking those who worship in a fake way. And he's saying, I don't even care about your worship because it's not even real. Now, what those guys were doing is they were giving, they were um, doing all of the right religious things, but the faith wasn't there underneath. But here's what God doesn't say, or here's what he, he, he doesn't mean. He doesn't say, don't do anything, just have faith. He says, have a faith that produces these things. Why and what working together? How's your worship? Is it real? Does it come from a heart that wants to worship Jesus, that wants to worship God, that loves him above all else, that adores him? That this isn't just uh, um, showing up because you're supposed to, checking off a box, working through some motions. No, it's an offering of your life. It's you giving the best of who you are to God out of adoration, out of submission to his authority, out of saying your way, not my way. And so I worship you with everything I am. There's real worship and there's fake worship. The other day I was working out in like a group class environment. And I said to a friend, my goal for this workout is to break a sweat. See, I've gotten to this place like in my um, exercise where I I know um, how much I can push myself where it doesn't really count as a workout. And so I'll get down on my watch and it'll say 275 calories. And then I'll ask somebody else, how many calories did you have? And they're like 900. It's like, okay, I just wasted 45 minutes of my life. I said, I wanna push myself to the point where I'm sweating then the workout will be real. David talks about this when he says, I want to worship God with something that cost me. Then the worship is real. I don't want to give him something that is of no value. No, he gave me of his, what was of most value, his son. So now I'm going to give him something, a worship back of most value to me. Real worship. And so Cain and God have this little conversation where uh, God says, hey, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, uh, then sin is crouching at the door and its desire will be over you and it will rule over you. And this is the first time that the word sin is mentioned in the Bible. Sin has occurred already uh, in Genesis chapter three, but here's the first time God talks about sin. And the first time he brings this idea up about sin. And first, they're always important in the scripture. And notice what God teaches us about sin. This is Sunday school truth number five. That sin wants to grow, and sin always leads to death. God teaches us this right in Genesis chapter 4. The first time he mentions sin, he tells us, here's what sin's going to want to do. It's going to want to keep taking more, and it's going to want to produce death. Commentators agree that what God is doing here in Genesis chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 is saying, Cain, will you come back? Will you do what's well? Will you, will you fix what you didn't do right? You didn't operate out of faith. You, you, didn't, you didn't worship me like I'm God. You, you just tried to appease me with some secondary thing. Would you put me in my proper place? See, here in Genesis chapter four, what humanity is beginning to do is say this. Are we going to uh, two groups of humanity? And that is one, God is in authority, or the other, I am in authority. 
The scary part, as we're looking at it, is both groups, God's in control or I'm in control, will have some picture of worship. Sometimes so that they'll, they'll be covering on which side they're really on. And so God brings up sin and he says, hey, sin's either gonna take over you or you're gonna take over it. It's gonna keep on growing and it's gonna devour or you're going to devour it. What happens in this story? Cain lets sin break in. He doesn't repent and it just keeps on progressing. And so what started as a lackluster offering, uh, refusing to submit to God, turns into then anger. Uh, then it turns into deception with his brother. He then asks his brother to come out into the field with him. His brother just willingly goes to the field. And so he probably has no idea what's going to happen. He just follows him out there and then he murders him. The person who he was supposed to trust for Abel the most, his brother, kills him. So we see the breakdown now of family that will um, run its course all through the rest of Genesis and on to this day. And sin then begins to just destroy Cain's life because he didn't control it. Sin, God tells us right from the beginning, will control you or you will control it. Now, some of you said, well, I don't know if I can control sin. Well, here's the secret. You can't. Jesus can, though. And Jesus' death on the cross is the power over sin. It's the power to look at sin and say, you have no more control over me. Romans 6 tells us we are free from sin in Christ. We now have the power through the Holy Spirit to walk the other way to be confronted by God and instead of rebelling and going deeper into it, to repent and to turn. If sin has a stranglehold over your life today, this isn't one of the Sunday school truths, but remember, let me remind you of one. Jesus gives you the power over sin. Repent, walk away. Sin always leads to death, always leads to death. And so Cain walks down that path and uh, murders Abel, and he's out in the field, and God shows up, and he says, Cain, where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that question, by the way, is yes. Yes, we are. We are to care and love our brothers but not Cain. And Cain throws that up and God gives them a response and they have this little conversation and Cain's heart at this point is so hardened that God has to levy out a punishment. And the punishment that Cain deserved was death. But Sunday school truth number six, God grants us mercy by not giving us what we deserve. The very first time that the word sin is mentioned in the Bible, the person who commits that sin, what does God do in response? shows him mercy. Oh, he's setting up another principle, that we will sin. We will fall short of God's standard, but through Jesus, God shows us mercy. And so God shows Cain mercy. He should have gotten death. God doesn't give him death. Instead, he lays out a punishment. Life is going to be a little bit harder because sin produces death and has natural and practical consequences. And so those consequences fall on Cain. And after God levies it out in verses 13 and 14, Cain cries out, I can't take this. This is beyond anything I could bear or anything that I could ever do. 
There's split here uh, in the commentators on whether or not Cain is being self-centered here or if he's finally repenting. The Moody Bible commentary takes the uh, second one and he says that Cain actually here is finally responding to God. He's seeing his punishment and he's going, I can't take this. And if I walk down this path, I'm going to end up dead. Everyone else is going to um, respond. They're going to hear what I did, and I'm going to end up dead. And um, it says that God says, no, that won't happen. Let me put a sign on you. And the commentary points out that this word sign is a term that all throughout the Old Testament is a redemptive term. That even Cain, the first one to sin, the first one to fall short of the standard, the first one to let sin grow and grow and grow. God shows him mercy by not giving him what he deserves. And then when he cries out, puts a sign of redemption on him, reminding us of Sunday school, truth number seven, there's always a path back to redemption. We are never too far gone. God's grace and his mercy extends to even the worst of sinners, to all of us. There's always a path back to redemption, to freedom and power over sin. Seven Sunday school truths. Parents, your chief aim in life is to teach your children how to worship. All offerings aren't created equal. What we give and why we give work in tandem together. Out of faith, we give to God our very best. We are righteous then because of our faith, not because of our works. There is real worship and there is fake worship. Sin wants to grow and sin leads to death, but God grants us mercy, giving us not what we deserve. And there's always a path back to redemption. That's why we say around here, everyone's invited to experience redemption. I don't care about your past. I care about Jesus coming into your life now. These are important truths, important lessons for us to remember. How about they point us to something bigger and better? See, Cain, well, let me start with Abel. Abel is a figure of Christ. Abel was a brother who was betrayed by a brother. Abel was a shepherd who cared for a flock. He gave his first fruit as a blood offering. He was martyred for his faith. And his blood, the scripture says, cries out to this day. Abel is a type of Christ. Cain is an antichrist. He refused to give a blood offering. He was confronted with God's plan and he chose to ignore God's instructions. His rage grew, resulting in the shedding of innocent blood. And he wouldn't care for his brother. And all of this points us to the fact that Jesus is a greater Abel and a better Cain. How? Abel went to the field not knowing what was going to happen. Had he known what was happening, he probably wouldn't have gone. Jesus came down to earth knowing exactly what was going to happen, and he still came. Jesus is the better shepherd who cares for his flock. And instead of offering the best of his flock as an offering, he offers himself so that none of his flock might be lost. Jesus gave himself, the firstborn son of God. 
If what we give didn't matter, then Jesus could have gone up there and just said, I'm going to give you my best effort, God. I'm going to give you all of my time, God. No, there was only one offering that sufficed, and it was him, his life. What he gave, his life mattered. And so Jesus didn't hold back. He gave himself the true and best blood sacrifice, the sacrifice that was the final payment for sin. Cain refused to give a blood offering. Jesus gave himself as the blood offering. Abel was martyred for his commitment to God's plan, for his faith. Jesus was martyred for his commitment to God's plan. And he offered himself as the best act of worship. Cain, confronted with God's path, rejected it. Jesus, confronted with death, embraced it for all of us. Jesus became his brother's keeper. He cared so deeply for his brothers, even though they betrayed him, that he gave his life for them. Jesus became the ultimate sign of God's redemption, giving us the Holy Spirit as our sign that we are watched over and protected by God. Jesus was the path that always leads back to redemption. And so we look at these Sunday school stories, and they're filled with these important, vital truths. But most importantly, what each and every one of these stories is going to do is to remind us that Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin and to lead us back on the path of redemption. The first guy who was caught in sin came. Over and over, God says, will you do what's right? Will you come back? Will you come back? What about you? You weren't the first one caught in sin. But you might be now. And you might still have a life filled with it. Will you see the path back to redemption? Don't follow the path of Cain, where sin will lead to death. Stop. Repent. Come back to Christ. Cain ended up a wanderer and a fugitive. When we repent and turn back, we are now a son, a child, embraced in the family of Christ. Abel died for his faith, but before he did, he showed us what real worship looks like taking our very best and giving it to God first out of his authority, out of submitting obediently and out of worshiping him wholeheartedly. Will you worship him now in a real way? Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.org.